today's episode of El Politico is recorded on the 24th of June 2022. It's raining and it's midday. a very momentous occasion in w- more than one way because we have no host so I'm afraid you're stuck with me uh, Tom probably won't be seen until September but we have a uh, part of the gang back together Paul good afternoon hi Luke and we have a very special guest oh, we, we do indeed really <laughs> looking forward to this now <laughs> as, as it, the show will be a little bit di- di- different and uh, we, we generally talk Irish uh, UK and America but this time we're going to go onto the continent because we have an expert here in uh, all things European, Kevin Sade. Good afternoon and you're very welcome. Good afternoon, bonjour. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. Now, Kevin, I'm just going to say a few little bits uh, in relation to who you are and then you can tell us a little bit about what you do. And we'll, we'll, we'll start the topic with a, a little bit of a chat about Ireland and then we're going to go on to your, your specialist topic, as they would say back in the day. Right. You're a final stage PhD lecturer and researcher in UL and you're main area that you're looking at is political polarisation. That must be a wonderful topic. Yeah, and quite uh, topical, I suppose, quite current uh, in relation to what we see in the US and uh, what we see in Europe increasingly in France at the moment. Uh, so yes, I look at uh, European Union and I compare political systems across uh, Europe. So two levels, national and supranational. Okay, yeah. lots to sort of look at there. And we're all for a bit of political polarisation here, Paul, aren't we? <laughs> That's By definition, almost while it has become much, much, much more acute <laughs> in recent times, I suppose by its nature, it's representation. So there's an element of, always has been an element of polarisation in politics. Actually, yeah. my thesis is that polarisation is actually good for democracy uh, to some extent, uh, unless it becomes extreme and completely gridlocked. So yeah, polarisation is stimulating. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sure we're going to have a stimulating <laughs> d- d- discussion. Now, we're going to start um, at home, okay? And I, I suppose since last we spoke, Paul, the only probably, the most controversial thing, I suppose, in Irish politics was basically Michael D making a bit of a, sp- a speech about the housing crisis uh, where he wasn't happy and sort of expressed a few thoughts mm. that would be classed as unpresidential. And we're going to be talking, I will say, about the French presidential yeah. system in a while um, like in Ireland basically we have a president in name only he doesn't sort of say too much and it's not really you know he doesn't say anything controversial I would have been of the opinion Paul most of those speeches I thought had to be sort of pre-sanctioned slash agreed by the government but that has always been the case I suppose we, um, this is good actually by more accident than design as we're going to discuss French presidential election versus mm. Irish presidential election a lot of a lot of um, countries do have this kind of twin approach. You know, we, we have a constitutional presidential position. It's, it's acknowledged and it's written and it's in our constitution. But the powers that that president actually has are extraordinarily limited. It's very much more a figurehead of the state. And it's up to the president then to choose how it is that they play that role. And we have an incumbent at the moment who chooses to play that role, skirts very close. And even with that speech you talk about on housing last week up in Kildare, goes over that line 
that constitutional line about where his responsibilities begin and actually end, um, you would have to think that that is not necessarily unexpected from the incumbent because he had been a politician at the coal face for 30 odd years had been a minister for some of those years as well and had abilities and had influence in dealing with some of the issues that he actually talks now about. So he does most definitely skirt and does occasionally go over that political line. Um, that's the nature of the man that it is. Are you just maybe then a short step away from a constitutional crisis like we had in <coughs> excuse me, like we had in the 70s with Paddy Donegan and President Carol O'Dalig, possibly if the political system at any given time chooses to react um, in a way that they don't like. Now, there was a bit of huffing and puffing about that speech, but calmer heads such as that of the Taoiseach decided not to maybe pursue that or not to maybe bite back at the president yeah, in I, his I, deliberations. I, and I, I, don't, I don't think that... Um Irish politics are in a position to bite back, the government especially. Well, not on that issue. But as I said, having said that issue, it's a bit rich sometimes, in my personal opinion here, listening to the president make these political speeches, having been in office himself on the front line of delivery politics, if you want to call it that, for such a long time, and being a minister, you know... Um, it's 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 a it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a what would you call it? It's kind of um, it's a nice thing to be able to do, you know. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not so sure about it myself. Can, yeah, can it's it's uh, interesting. Oh, sorry, if I may uh, interject there. Oh, do um, <laughs> well. What is that line that you're talking about? I think that line is actually that line is actually customary, right? Uh, it's just a custom. It's a custom oh, that the Irish president. No, I don't think it's custom. I think it's constitution. It's quite specific um, in the well, constitution. Well, I've is listened to some institutionalists there that actually disagree. Um, so, the nature of the um, of the system in, in Ireland has been described as semi-presidential because the president still holds some executive. Uh, powers when he signs off on laws, right? Yes. Uh, and so it's it's the custom that he doesn't mingle into into your your domestic, your politics. domestic politics. And also the second point I like to make is that when you have the perception that um, elected representatives uh, in the Doyle uh, don't do what the people expect them to do to sort the housing crisis, energy crisis, pricing, and all that kind of stuff. I think it's kind of expected. My feeling is that it's expected that someone who stands above the pack actually, you know, shake up things a little bit and actually say, look, we've got very big problems here and sort of, you know... But get, then get, if, get, if that's okay, but if, if, if the person who stands above the pack then has a very specific political ideology and he chooses to use that ideology to make his points or to make his comments. For instance, if you take him last year visiting the graves of, 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 of old socialists in Italy, is that a political act? Is that what the people are asking him to do? It's, it's, it's a difficult, I think it's a difficult position to be in. There's a great area around what is constitutional, what is customary. Yeah. Um, I, I take it anyway from my undergrad years when I studied uh, Irish politics, is that this is kind of like a custom that uh, the Irish president uh, sort of remains neutral. Um, but, uh, but legally speaking, he has some very, very weak, narrow uh, yeah, he has a council powers. of state. He signs off on legislation. The point I'm making is that the Irish, uh, the Irish system is not purely parliamentary. Uh, parliamentarian. Um, it has some some kind of division of power between 
uh, executive the, power between the president and the prime minister. Well, they would say that constitutionally, when de Valera was establishing the constitution in 1937, he was only a Taoiseach for five years at the time, but that he had one eye on the presidency even at that point in time. So there could be some truth, Kevin, in your, in your point there, that de Valera, in framing this constitution, was looking at his own career, maybe 30 years down the line, that he still wanted to make sure that he had and could have political influence. So perhaps there is an ambiguity there mm. in, 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 in the constitutional office that is the Irish president. And Michael D. Higgins now is possibly exploiting that. Having said that, Mary Robinson, I suppose, exploited it. Uh, Mary McAleese exploited it, yeah, to political ends. It's a slightly... It's a slightly... It, it's it's, it's, it's grey and, by definition, then, can put yourself into trouble quite quickly when it isn't, you know... But the president is directly elected. You know, it's not like he was an unelected um, um, That's true. monarch That's true. or whatever. He's directly elected. Now, of course, he hasn't been given a mandate, um, but I, I I just don't see yeah. what the big deal is about here. You He's know, not I really don't. Even the political parties at one point in the 70s, when we were, I suppose, in a lot of that actually was as a result of a constitutional crisis with a minister in the government, Donegan, and the president, Carol Jolly, resigning. The political parties have the option. They can choose on agreement, they can choose a president. Even Michael D. Higgins in mm. his last election was chosen yeah. by um, right. the other political parties. He didn't just, um, I think Fine Gael endorsed him. Mm -hmm. Did Fianna fall at the last one? I'm not sure. Well, they didn't stand anyone against yeah, him. So think, yeah, so I think, yeah, so, so, <laughs> so it's, um, you know, again, he's not necessarily elected by the political we're, system we're, at times it, it's it's quite grey actually when you look at it we like dealing with shades of grey in this country yeah. you know? well, <laughs> yeah, we have there's, there's plenty of them outside the, the, the window this morning yeah. as, as, as we talk about but listen we're going to bypass the UK for a bit now because we say we're, we're going to go um, onto the continent and I, I suppose one thing that has happened since Brexit is we, we've a lot more shipping lanes have opened up to uh, our, our, our colleagues in France and we said I think the lads down in Ross Lair are doing great business now as a result and Cork uh, uh, and um, the French embassy uh, has this new motto now we are uh, your closest to your neighbours yes so no yeah uh, uh, Kevin what what I want to um, just start with was basically um, there was a French presidential election a while back and there were parliamentary elections within the last few weeks. And yep. I want you to sort of talk about those and we'll say how that's going to affect things, um, we'll say, in France. And we'll say, but I want you to start first and just will you give us a brief description of um, compare Fre French the French political system to the Irish system in that, as you said, we, we have the doll, we have, you know, incumbent parties over the years, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, uh, Labour, and now we'll say we have the rise of Sinn Féin. It is where we stand at the, at the moment. So can you give us a, a sort of, without, you know, going through, through a 600-year history of uh, politics in France, can you give us a description of where things currently stand, we'll say, the parties that are there at the minute uh, you know, have they risen or fallen in recent years and where you think the political system is going in France? Right. So let me start with uh, my first kind of provocative thought. Right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, th there's a lot of um, uh, of um, ink being spilled on what's been going on in France over the, the past week, actually, since the second round of the uh, uh, general elections or parliamentary elections. Um, my question here is. 
So what? I actually don't think this is as big as an earthquake as uh, as many commentators uh, make it out to be. Then, if you want to compare the Irish system to the French one, I actually don't think that it's um, it's uh, it's a great comparison <coughs> by virtue of what we've just discussed about the grey areas. So let's compare like a pure parliamentary democracy to a pure presidential system. Uh, mm -hmm. The Netherlands and uh, and the US and France stands a little bit like in between the two. Okay. Um, so, um, so the Fifth Republic is actually quite plastic. Uh, it, it sometimes resembles uh, more like um, uh, an American system, presidential system, and sometimes, uh, I think in, in the next couple of weeks, it'll be mm. more like a parliamentary democracy in the next five years uh, because of what's been going on in France. Um, so the executive powers, when it's a pure presidential system, when uh, the president uh, has an absolute majority in the, the parliament, um, well, um, the executive powers are with the president and the prime minister, who the president nominates, Jesus. right? But the prime minister, like in the parliamentary democracy, is responsible before the National Assembly, the lower chamber, like your doyle, right? Okay. Um, however, so like in France, we have elections every five years, first with the, pre the presidential election, and then within a month or two, we've got the parliamentary uh, elections. And usually the tradition in French politics is that whoever wins uh, the presidency, we give him an absolute majority uh, a month later, we confirm. Uh, and so that gives full powers to one party, uh, full executive and legislative powers. The choreography is important in that having the presidential election for you're kind of giving a nod to the French public. Well, this is our president that we have chosen. So now we need to back him with his political party within the parliament to get I, his agenda through over the next I, five And years. so when that happens, uh, it resembles more like a Republican monarchy. Uh, mm. This is where yeah. the president is the boss. He's got full majority in the parliament. The prime minister is one that he yeah. or she nominates. And uh, and policy making can be can be. Uh, uh, storm true, and right? We're going to come back to something uh, later on, but we'll say the actual process of electing the president isn't a one horse race in that it's not one day out. It, you know, like here we have our elections and it's either proportional representation. Yeah. You know, mm. or, or you know, STV, yeah, or, yes. or, or, or whoever's yeah. whoever's left left last as the man yeah. says, yeah. you know, wins. But in France, you have two rounds of voting. And we're going to talk a lot about that I in a while. But has that always been the way with the with mm. the Fr French constitution? No, uh, and actually, so the French constitution was drafted by Charles de Gaulle in 1958. Um, and uh, and actually, one of the reasons why um, uh, France actually lost so quickly to the German invasion in, uh, in the Second mm. World War was that there was uh, major disagreements within uh, and, and just hellish kind of conditions mm. and divisions in the, the European Parliament because we had uh, a more proportional representation system. Uh, and so you had you had very kind of fragmented kind of, you know, um, uh, De Gaulle, you, it's a, just to use a phrase that you used a minute ago, Kevin, De Gaulle spoke was the of monarch. It in 1958 as an elected monarchy. Yeah. An elected yeah. monarchy. It seems Absolutely. as if it's, if, if it does, it's a juxtaposition. But yeah. an elect, and if, when you think about it, it actually does make sense. And even the way you're describing it there, it's an elected monarchy as yeah. such. Until... 
until, this, until now. <laughs> until this time. Until, until this, this time. time. And so what we've seen this time, we're going to talk about some of the, the trends there, actually, in the last uh, the last uh, election. Um, but really, what we see now is a shift of power from the Elysee Palace, from the president, to more towards the European Parliament. Because... The French Parliament. In the French Parliament. The, what did I say? You said to, to the European Parliament. Oh, sorry, sorry. My bad. Yeah. Sorry. The, 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 the French Parliament. And so... Um, and so the power, so like Macron had for five years in his first term described himself as Jupiter, uh, Jupiter. <laughs> he had the Jupiterian kind of style. I'm the boss. I'm the monarch. I stand above the pack and I have kind of a almost like really top down kind of style yeah. of governance. Um, but that has to change now because he doesn't have absolute majority in, your, in the parliament anymore. And so... Um, so if you have more than 279 parliamentarians, um, uh, deputies uh, that um, uh, decide to vote, to vote in their confidence, mm. um, the government is down. Mm -hmm. So this is why I say the French system kind of stands between uh, a parliamentary democracy and the full presidential system. Yeah. Because the, the, the prime minister still is responsible before the, the parliament. Uh, the parliament. There's no such risk of having a toppled government when you hold full majority yeah. in the parliament. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but it's it's probably it's a it's a well we'll see how it works out now over the it, it can actually result possibly in stasis and nothing happening or it might actually check the kind of the monarch monarchical powers or the Jupiterian powers that a person might feel they should have or possess. Macron I think had his eye possibly on a broader canvas than France in winning this election. I think he felt he was the king of Europe. I don't say this in right, a disparaging well, I, I or a bad way. I don't mean, I'm jumping too far ahead, but I think possibly... I think this is why electoral politics works well sometimes. It might have deflated, perhaps, him throwing an eye. Not that it isn't important that European politics has to be kind of... And you've got Germany now maybe at a different point in its, in its political system as well with a new chancellor. But I think this has maybe a slight domestic wake-up call possibly for Macron and his ensemble? Yeah, so um, I, I think so. So far, what we've been saying is basically uh, the light was, you know, very much on the president. He was yeah. the boss of, of France and his majority was basically saying whatever he decided, right? Yeah. Uh, and now the light is being, is kind of shifting to the parliament uh, this time around mm -hmm. because to uh, sum up, Macron doesn't have absolute majority in the European Parliament. Good in example. the Parliament. Uh, for what Irish do I keep saying European yeah. Parliament? Yeah. I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> You're obsessed with me, I'm sure we get to that. Yeah. But a good, a, good, a good illustration of that, if you ask an Irish person or ask somebody here from the Scarif Bay Community Radio um, catchment area to name a French Prime Minister from the last 10 years, you would struggle. But you would, all, you would name all the French presidents That's yes. for the last. So yeah. you know, the, the, the Prime Minister doesn't really get traction um, politically. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I suppose the the concept that I suppose France is going to have to get used to is what we've had here for thirty years, uh, in that you have um, coalitions, and we'll maybe talk about that a little a little bit. But you know, whereas if you said up to the eighties. You know, it was Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, or Fianna Fáil, yeah. <laughs> and and then you know, it, over more recent years, we have different uh, parties have come together. But um, the 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 parties themselves in France at the moment, um, and just would you just explain to our listeners where Macron came from? Because I I I said I, I'm not an expert in it by any means, but I, I I find some of it fascinating in a little bit like you know um 
when a company wants to change something about their image, they rebrand. And there's a bit of rebranding has gone on. Oh, I love what you're saying there. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, you're getting me started now. I think I'm going to give you a lecture now. Off you go. Off you go. <laughs> so, um, so French politics being uh, structured uh, by uh, a left-right cleavage, right? Uh, uh, because in France, we had a, an industrial revolution and you had the working class that, that really was quite homogenous. And uh, from there emerged uh, a socialist party, a left-wing party. So the Parti Socialiste, right? Socialist. The yeah. Parti Socialiste and the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, the uh, mainstream right, Républicain or different names uh, over the years, uh, used to alternate uh, power. So once um, the Parti Socialiste and it shifts right, left, right. Mm. So you had two broad church kind of parties that shared powers uh, since uh, 1970, uh, 1981, right? Yeah. Um, um, but mainstream parties, and this is kind of a, a global trend, uh, mainstream parties have been uh, losing uh, a lot of their supporters, have collapsed in pretty much much of Europe. Um, and so what we've seen in um, uh, after a succession of crises, uh, as you know, from uh, the financial crisis, economic mm. crisis, migration crisis, uh, the Parti Socialiste actually lost a lot of its credibility. So, um, uh, so Hollande was president, Hollande. remember, between 2012 uh, 12 and 20, 2017. Uh, Hollande uh, uh, basically realized that he had stood no chance of being reelected yeah. uh, and uh, decided that uh, he would not run. He would not run for yeah. uh, for Second elections. Term. Macron, at that stage, was his minister for um, the economy, economy finance minister, um, and actually um, was uh, was really front and center of um, or how can I say. Uh, actually saw all the mistakes that Hollande actually made uh, as a president mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to do it different. So he started a small movement. To be honest, I actually don't think that 2016, when he created the movement, um, I don't marche, think that he... En marche. En marche. En marche. La République en marche. Yeah. Um, uh, onwards, right, uh, to translate. Um, so when Macron created a small movement, I think he was kind of getting ready for... Five years down the line. Uh, definitely 2022, now. Yes. Yeah. Did not think at all that he was going to be elected president. <laughs> a bit like Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and, so, and so actually there's been a formidable uh, lining up of stars uh, that ensued uh, until the 2017 election uh, because um, the mainstream right uh, party was embroiled in, into, uh, into scandals. And, and the it was Fillon, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Of, 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 as the François Prime Fillon, Minister. Yeah, pr uh, Sarkozy's Prime, Prime Minister, yeah. uh, who uh, was found uh, to defraud the state, basically, mm. right? Uh, and so collapsed in the polls, and Macron emerged as the only uh, credible alternative. To, um, credible alternative. Le Pen got and I think the at the time when it was elected as well, there was a trend of what we call dégagisme. We want to throw out the old politicians, bring something new. Mm. Uh, because one thing that is very particularly um, uh, uh, prominent in France is um, uh, distrust in institu institutions, distrust in, in politicians. Yeah. I mean, France really is the most distrustful uh, people in yeah. Europe by far in, in, in opinion surveys. Yeah. Uh, so um, out with the old, in with the new. And that's how Macron emerged as uh, the new president, president. of France. Um, now, 
in the French lecture system, as you said, we have a kind of a system like in the UK. So it's a majoritarian system. However, uh, it's two rounds. So the first time mm. you usually vote with your heart. You vote, you know, whoever you feel closest to. Mm -hmm. And then you have a choice between the, the top two candidates in the second round. So Macron was faced with uh, facing Le Pen in 2017 and again in 2022 facing Le Pen. I think it would be wrong to think that the Macron won by default. I do think that there's an there element that they out with the old, in with the new. Yeah, as, as but I think I, I, I think Macron is uh, is um, is kind of an astute politician, a politician mm. in many ways, quite formidable. How a guy who had never been elected uh, prior to 2017 yeah, yeah. actually managed to uh, to to win twice, mm. twice, yeah. right? Um, and I just see that he has become the first incumbent to be re-elected in 20 years. Yes. Yeah. Jacques Chirac. Jacques Chirac yeah. won Jacques Chirac. In, in 2002 against Le Pen. Uh, the father. Yeah. Le Pen father. Le yes. Father, and yeah. uh, I, I'm just quoting now from an article in The Times, as the man says, for, for, from uh, uh, back in April. Macron secured victory against the national rally leader, which is... Le Pen. Le Pen. Le Pen. Le Pen. That's not what they started off as, but, but I'll come back to you. <laughs> Rebranding <on that>. again. <laughs> Rebranding. With a 17-point lead, higher than expected, but down on the 2017, 32% points. And Le Pen scored, uh, we'll say, 41.5% of the vote, which is the highest level achieved by the nationalist movement founded by her father in uh, 72, and which she inherited mm. in 2011. You know, so... Um, th there's a, you know, the, the optics of that and how French politics is going is interesting. Just from an outsider looking in, in the, yeah. you know, you see there's a bit of a trend in that, you know, they're... Why, why I mean, I guess the question you, 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 you know, some, some of our listeners might ask is... Why is it so important? Why mm. should we care so much about who is the president? Because actually, if the president has full powers, so both parliamentary majority and, and, uh, and the Palace, actually the French president is more powerful than, than the, the, the American president, mm -hmm. has more executive powers um, and, and can push through uh, like very, very um, consequential reforms. Um, so imagine that you have Le Pen as, um, yeah, as, 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 as a leader and, uh, and actually gets majority. Um, Get ready for yeah. for well, I, I, quite think, some I think I think there's a broader even within uh, the, the domestic issue within France, but I do think, and it's been the historical case. I know maybe we see it slightly different now with the 27 members of the EU, and it is a a, a collective. And in the issues that are appearing now, you can see that collective with small nations working, but there's still a drive, and it's driven in a lot of ways by France and by Germany, the EU and the whole EU thing. So. While the French president has those powers domestically, the French president also, if they choose to exercise them, have significant um, role to play within Europe. Hugely significant role. And a role that would become, I suspect, Macron, with his five years of experience, notwithstanding his domestic issue, if we can get into the specifics of it, I think he has one eye on that from a European perspective as well for his yeah. next five <clears throat> years. Yeah, so I, I think it is very important, actually, whenever you talk about domestic politics, that uh, you put that, uh, of course, in the, the framework of what's going on in European politics. Yeah. As you rightly mentioned, the Franco-German uh, couple is really a driving force in European politics. Mm. Um, and um, a Le Pen uh, president, let's just say, um, uh, hypothetically, she had won the, the, Amer the, the, the elections uh, as a president. Um, I think you would have seen a lot of stasis 
in yeah, European politics. I, I you Not the end of. I, I, I think that's you know it's overstated sometimes when you hear people saying uh, that's the the the. the collapse of, of European the European Union. I, I think European Stasis. Union can survive. Five years in a European politics is actually very, very short time, right? Mm. Uh, it's a very short time. I suppose, <laughs> considering we're recording this on Friday, two days ago, was the sixth anniversary of the Brexit, Brexit vote. That's right, yeah. You know, that's right. which we'll come back yeah. to in, in a while. And we're still <laughs> in the middle of it, you know, <laughs> oh, so yeah, really six only, years. It's only the end of the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, six yeah. years is really, really yeah. a short time in European yeah. politics. Yeah. Well, it's know, like the it's old like thing about what, what did the Chinese say when somebody asked them, what do you think of the impacts of the French Revolution after, you know, sometime in the 60s? It's too early to tell. Yeah. Far too early <laughs> to tell. We need a lot more time on this. We, do we want to look at the so actual figures? The, the actual, yeah. the, you know, Lyndon Johnson famously said, and this is this is wrong politics now we can look at the broad brushstroke kind of politics but you mean the, about the composition figures, the composition the yeah figures. so you got to count if you're a politician yeah. you got to count but you got to make what we know numbers. can i just ask you one, one question before that the first round of uh election it, it, my understanding would say with the presidential elections that you can have x amount of candidates in the first round and the top two go through to a vote yeah mm. same That's in great. the parliamentary elections okay so yeah. w- will you just tell us about the people that what didn't make it, you know, we'll say, uh, you know, true to round two. Well, we just I, I, maybe I just bring out some characters here, maybe, and then Kevin might maybe maybe talk about them or kind of maybe yeah. create a context for how we bring on the discussion. Um, Melanchon, um, from the far left, had stood in 2017 as well. Um, I think came in in third place um, in the first round back in March, early April. Um, the Socialist, um, Francois Hollande, had been president 2012 to 2017. Hidalgo, a former mayor of Paris. Um, Jacques Chirac w- might have launched his bid to be president as a mayor of Paris at once about 20 years ago, maybe as well. The Republicans, um, Valérie... Um, Pécresse. Pécresse, Pécresse. Mm-hmm. She was making a lot of noise at an early stage trying to get going there again. But those two, I suppose, like you talked about a minute ago, the, 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 the two parties that had maybe held the whole state or had kind of had yeah. gone over and back. Yeah. Hidalgo, Pecres, 1.8%, 4.8% in the first runoff. That's Those figures are shocking for yeah, two parties so that would have been so strong and would have been the foundation for the fifth republic. Where, where has it gone wrong for them? Right, so yeah, I, 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 I think I, th- I think to understand the decline of mainstream parties all over Europe, it's important to understand actually what's happening at the sociological level, the level of the population. We know that with the uh, uh, changes in labour market, you know, I mean, like the working class is no longer uh, homogenous. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, it's completely fragmented, and so and so the the left vote really is completely fragmented between uh, the Greens, between communists, still communists in France, uh, between populist far left. Uh, and red and wall, the, red and, wall seats, and in also centre left, yeah. right? Okay. I mean, those okay. kind yeah. of, you know, Fragmented. so so complete. The working class has basically fizzled away, right? And so that explains the collapse as of a the voting block, as a as voting a, block, I, as a as a political force to mm. reckon with, right? Okay. Uh, and then what's happening on the right uh, is that. Um, uh, the religious cleavage uh, has also uh, de- declined, right? I religious. mean, yeah, because the, the mainstream right emerged from the religious cleavage uh, between um, a secular uh, state and um, and more religious state. More religious influence yeah, state. Yeah, so uh, with the decline of the religious uh, cleavage, uh, you have the right that has lost a lot of its uh, of its base. Um, uh, like, I mean, Merkel's party is uh, yeah, emerged Democrat, from that kind Christian of cleavage. Christian Democrat, yeah. even Fine yeah. Gael in yeah. Ireland, you could, yeah. you could take it. Yeah, so so if true. you think in terms of cleavages between, <coughs> you know, in, amongst the population, 
Britain, uh, you do see how uh, mainstream parties uh, are fizzling away, uh, collapsing between the, 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 the force, the mobilizing force of those cleavages uh, is kind of, you know, uh, disappearing. So are, do, do you think, you know, maybe I'm straying away from it now from the specifics of the French, but it's a broader thing there. Are they gone forever? Well, um, so, uh, yeah, so this is where we're going to go back to what you said about branding, right? Because that increasing when you don't have, no longer have, say, um, um, uh, an acquired um, solid base, you've got to craft new bases mm. with the brand, right? A little bit like, um, think about um, Apple, right? They've yeah. got their following. They've got the brand, yeah. you know, and then you have, you know, uh, Samsung that come in and, and say, hey, we're going to do something new yeah. and we're going to do something better than them. And they craft their own brand. So this is kind of uh, how we ought to understand politics now. It's no longer about social groups. It's more so about political entrepreneurs. Uh, it's more so about uh, like um, yeah, a market, uh, a political market out there. Um, um, and I think what, what the, uh, to, can change at any given time. So it can change, it can rebrand, and this is where we're going to go back to actually to Le Pen. Um, uh, and also important to uh, what really was the death knell for mainstream parties was actually the onset of crises and the perception from the population that, well, look, you've been in power for so long, you should be able to deal with the onset of those crises, mm -hmm. migration, financial, economic, and so on and so forth. Um, and so the, the, the sheer devastation from those crises uh, meant um, a loss of credibility for uh, forces in power, political mainstream political parties. I, 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 and so that ex explains why far right and far left parties also uh, managed to uh, to siphon off the electorate of the mainstream that, parties. That's going back to 2008, 2009. Yeah, like yeah. I, I've had mm -hmm. this argument, Paul, with you that basically we're sort of in the third stage of, uh, you, you know, uh, we've had three elections since our, you know, said the financial crisis yes. here. And the next stage of it, you know, which was basically Fianna Fáil get wiped out. Uh, Fine Gael sort of, you know, yeah. nearly ru ruled the roost. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, they, 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 they come well. back in and they're petering out and then you have, you, you know, Sinn Féin are on the way up. We said, Le Pen, when she was with the National Front in 2002, made the second round of the French. Her father. Uh, uh, father. Sorry, her father. Yeah, sorry, her father. Sorry, her father, sorry my, yeah. th that was as the National Front. Yes. And then, uh, and then, does Marine, the ten. Yes, and Marine took over, and then, um, and I think herself and her father have sort of uh, disagreed strongly on, we'll say, how the, the the ways that they, you know, how things are going, uh, with regards to politics. But they rebranded, and you said uh, on on March is what Macron started, and that's changed now as well. Has has he changed his branding as well? Um. Uh, less so than Le Pen, anyway. Okay. Yeah, Le Pen has really uh, rebranded, have worked. I, I think Le Pen has been very astute, actually. Yeah. Uh, has been very, very, very astute. Um, so Le Pen went, so just put like in figures, you said, you know, where's the numbers? Yeah. Le Pen went from, uh, in 2017, she had 12 elected mm. dep deputies in the lower chamber. She has nine, 89 now. 89. Right? 89, um, okay. Yeah, the far left block, which coalesced uh, after realising, after Mélenchon, uh, after realising that they had made made a big mistake of not coalescing from the French, for the French president election, elections, afterwards say, okay, look, let's unite and actually mm. try and win those presidential election, uh, those uh, parliamentary elections. So the, the left went from 27 deputies to 142. So you have, literally, you have um, uh, something like 220 elected deputies 
out of 577 that are on the extremes, yeah, the extremes. far left and far mm. right. Which is close to 50%. And then in the middle, you have En Marche, uh, Macron's party, who has 245, 40 short of an right. absolute majority. So, two, uh, two, so 290 So, right. so yeah. there are yeah. 60 more seats to play for there. Who has um, those 60 seats? Uh, so uh, Les Républicains, yeah. the mainstream okay. right. Yeah. So um, and, and mainstream right. Mainstream right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's that's the numbers there, right? So if you go back to, so you have three blocks. If you go to Johnson, if you go to Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, one of the most famous politicians in the world. I think I met the quote earlier on. Um, the most important thing in politics, you got to be able to count. Yes. So if you count there, if you put two, four, five, and sixty together, you get to three hundred. There's a majority. Can that happen? Will that happen? Should right. that happen? Ha, I, I love that last question. Should it happen? So the implications here, uh, I think there's a lot of positives in, in uh, the fact that Macron didn't get an absolute majority. The first thing is um, the, <laughs> the anger amongst the electorate might actually be now channeled through uh, elected representatives. Because if there is if there is like compromises, if there is discussions, if there is vivid, I would expect it's going to be quite you know angry in there. Vivid a, discussions. A at least the anger is not on the streets. As we've, we've seen the with the yellow vest movement, yellow vest. right? So the anger might actually be channeled. So that, one of the positives. The second thing is more balance of power, right? Uh, so um, all the power is not in the hands of Macron. It's also in the hands, as sh should be in a, in a representative democracy, in the hands of. The parliament, the parliament, right? Uh, the other one is you might actually uh, see some gridlock, um, right? Because I wouldn't expect that he, the, some of the, the far left and far right are responsible enough to actually be constructive. There might be some gridlock uh, and you might actually see one way out of this might be referenda. Right. Macron might actually say, OK, look, you can't agree with each other. Let's put that to the population. Sixth Republic. Um, I <laughs> go as far as that. Well, actually, I think that um, I, at one point I, I thought that uh, such a presidential system uh, was not a good thing. But actually, I've, as I said uh, in my preamble, the Fifth Republic is actually plastic enough. Plastic, right? plastic. You said that. It's you plastic that. enough. And so there's no need for a Sixth, sixth Republic. Well, the way you there's actually there. no need. Yeah. There's actually no need for a PR system because what we've seen uh, in last Sunday this, is yeah, that yeah. you do have a very nice reflection of, a very accurate reflection yeah. of the population. Um, what was unthinkable, what I, I thought was irresponsible and, and, and certainly dysfunctional was when uh, Le Pen did... Um, 25% of the votes uh, in 2017. Yes. Right. And actually only had like 6% of, uh, of the seats the, in, the in the parliament. But that came down to your two, like I said, you came down to your two, your two final runners in a presidential runoff. And so the French um, National Assembly now is, uh, is actually very uh, representative of, uh, of, of the population. It's, it's yeah. a good analysis. It's, it's a good analysis, Kevin, there actually, the points you make about how this thing perhaps could actually work. Um, but could it work? It depends on a couple of things. The first one is willingness to compromise. Uh, I would expect that Le Pen actually is quite willing to compromise because she wants to show good front for the for next 2017, 2027 elections. So she wants to, to show that, look, we, we, we can hold power here and we can actually be responsible. And if you take uh, it as a journey, she has compromised as well in the journey. If you take it, go back to 2002 with her father, previous incarnation. But she has, she has a track record of compromise. Compromise or apparent or 
presentable compromise? Yeah, I think it's just the front, right? So what, front. She, <laughs> what, what she's done, what she's done in the lead up of the presidential election is that uh, she actually moves stealthily. She mm. dropped the, that kind of far right anti-immigration rhetoric, yes. and she focused. And I think it was actually very astute. She focused Zellemour, on that, that guy. There was another guy who was taking up that position, didn't he? Zellemour. Yeah, Eric Zemmour. Z- Zemmour. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and 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 so she could move stealthily because she had more extreme than her on the, on the right, yeah. more vehement, she, she you know. And so, and so she looked very <laughs> fairly mainstream, right? You see the mainstreamization, the mainstreaming of of the far right there in yeah. France playing out. Um, and so uh, I think you're going to see more of that. The rebranding towards a more presidential uh, presidential uh, party is going to keep going for the next five years. And actually, where I think is quite worrying for 2027, there is a risk that Le Pen is going to get in power next time around because she will have 80, as I said, 80 something, 90 seats. That's 90 potential ministers. Mm. Yeah, uh, I suppose the, the, the analogy that we would give to it here is um, to do well at a general election, you need to have done well in the council elections, local elections, yeah. local elections you know, yeah. a year or two prior. And that's probably what 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 she's doing. I you think know. it's quite interesting as well that she has not. I think she sits in the parliament now herself as well. Has she sat in the parliament before? Yeah. Has she? Oh, she has actually mm-hmm. sat in the parliament mm-hmm. before, but she seems to be front and center now. She's going to no, be a parliamentarian. No, her, her her father did. Um, yeah. did, she, what, did she sit in the parliament? No, she never I did. Think actually, she hasn't. I think she has I think so. She's now choosing to kind of, I think, make the most yeah. of the parliament. So I think we'll see a lot of her over the five years from a parliamentary, from a French parliamentary perspective. We'll see her. That's where she's, and as you say, that's a good launching pad. Yeah, but seats. to be honest, I think she stays in parliament now because she uh, she was very surprised herself. She <laughs> thought she was only going to get like 15 seats. Yes. Uh, and why shockingly, would you, why would she you got 89. Did and I think had she only got like 15 seats, she probably would have relinquished her seats uh, to her. And she uh, go out and be a leader outside. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and outside. Not that yeah, take, take over the presidency yeah. of a yeah, party exactly. again. Yeah, exactly, uh, but exactly. important to see that the far right, and actually this is a common feature about far right parties, it is a, it is a dynasty, right? And so I, I think it's important to see that, right? Um, so um, she hasn't given up on, on being a president, uh, and I would not expect uh, anyone outside of the Le Pen family to actually take over the party anyway. And mm. I find that fascinating. Oh, it is oh, a dynasty, yeah. right? Yeah. So any wannabe leader of the, the far right uh, needs to understand this. If you're not a Le Pen, you're, you're not going to get it. Okay, it'd be a little bit like you said, if your name isn't Trump, you might <laughs> We'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, to put, okay, can I just say of course. Uh, one thing very important there is that although 89 seats actually quite a lot of seats for Le Pen, um, about half of those were won by a 1% margin. Right. Mm. So to put that in Marginal. perspective, yeah. I think the big stories, and this is common, I think, all over Europe, the big story of the parliamentary election is uh, crisis of ma- the mainstream parties, uh, crisis of democracy, because only 47% of people turned v- out actually to vote. vote. Yeah. Uh, so this is a big problem. Um, and um, yeah, democracy in crisis. Um, and no more Jupiterian style for Macron. Yeah. For Macron. Yeah. I, I, yeah. He has to learn to this compromise now he has yeah, to, I'm not even sure to, he will can yes. he no. but, but, uh, yeah. uh, but has he not done a bit of it already he's rebranded the party is it now called renaissance ensemble yeah. 
No Renaissance. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But actually, that kind of fits in with um, his pro-European stance as well, because there is a group in European Parliament that's called Renew, right? Renew. So yeah. uh, he wants to Europeanize, uh, Europeanize the his movement. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, before we move on from there, you know, so we, we talk about the next generation. So um, Elizabeth Bourne, the Prime Minister. Prime the Prime Minister. Nominated by Macron. Correct. Right. She before as Prime Minister, but that was before the parliamentary elections. D- just before. She, she, was, she, 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 she has been PM for a month. Be, she may not necessarily, be, if, they, if some horse trading happens now within the parliament, she might not necessarily continue to be Prime Minister. So I think, I think uh, people know that Bonne, bon, uh, even amongst uh, her political opponents, uh, she's very uh, capable, right? Mm. Uh, she's, um, uh, she, she's uh, what do you call them? Um, Technocrat, right? She was a former uh, minister, wasn't she a minister? Yeah, she was minister yeah. of um, labor, I think. Labor, labor yeah. minister, yeah. And uh, she's very capable. But now, actually, her real career as a politician actually starts because yeah. she's going to have. So there's two options yeah. for in, uh, in in French politics now. One, uh, Macron breaks uh, a deal, right? Uh, makes a coalition agreement um, with either Les Républicains, mainstream right, or some dissent uh, dissenting uh, MPs nukes, from or, the left. Uh, he only needs 40, so it's actually quite possible. He can do it. But it won't happen for now. I think what's going to happen now over the next uh, year, at least, uh, is uh, uh, crafting a majority policy by policy basis. Uh, confidence and supply, yeah. I think, um, is the name for that, Lou. Yeah. It's, it's the government that was created in Ireland in 2016. For, you know, for confidence, yeah. like you say, policy by policy, piece of legislation by piece of legislation, yeah. we'll agree to agree on a continual basis. And so there's two, two implications uh, if it goes this way. Uh, the first one is... Uh, it might be um, you might see more acceptable uh, policies in terms of, of, of pension, in terms of the budget, uh, in terms of climate uh, as well. So uh, you're going to have to kind of craft something in the middle. It cannot be all right wing yeah. like Macron initially purported it to be. Um, and uh, the second implication is uh, is that uh, yeah, it, there might be some gridlock. Um, the, 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 what I feel, what really. And slow policymaking. Slow. If you have a technocratic, that the, the the construct of the parliament does not lend itself to having a technocratic prime minister. The construct of the parliament and having to work with a president lends itself to a political prime minister, someone that can bring those policy by policy. If you can't get an overall deal at the start, you know it looks like you read a, you need a real political. Prime Minister, rather than a technocratic Prime Minister. RPM Elizabeth Bourne has been described as uh, as uh, as a technocrat, but yeah. also uh, with remarkable she, negotiating skills. She's a good politician. Let's put those skills okay. into action now. Let's see you know, how we Let's see so. how yeah. she goes. Her political career starts now. What I think, my hunch uh, is that what's going to happen is that. Um, uh, uh, there will be some gridlock. I think it would be very slow, uh, and French people might actually grow exasperated uh, with the slow uh, working of things. There's so some very, very slow policy making if you have to craft uh, yeah. some, uh, some, some majority oh, oh, on oh, policy. In this country, we know all about doing things. So yeah, but you see, we're not that kind of mature kind yeah, of democracy. Yeah, you have more yellow vests, more, more, yeah. more people on the streets. And so, what, what may happen? I think uh, in. February, March, uh, it's, um, it's a, you know, uh, 
make or break kind of situation. Uh, either policy making has been going kind of smoothly or um, Macron dissolves the parliament and calls a new fresh set of elections. So there is a facility for the president to dissolve the parliament yeah. and call a new he set of elections. He can do so uh, even now if he wanted. I think it would be very politically risky. <laughs> but he can do so next March and actually then he can do it for another year. Is there a facility for the parliament to say we don't want the president? No. Nothing like that. No, no. The no. president is no. This is why this is kind of a presidential constitutional monarchy. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah. It's a presidential system where there's a direct democratic link between the president and, and the, the population, and uh, the parliament and the population both actually work completely uh, separate. So, so right? the theory that it goes is the presidential election is the top of the pile. That happens every five years. Yeah. And then everything underneath that. Generally, there's an election. Is is the election within a few months of the presidential election? Mm. for, Or is that how it traditionally goes? Or, you know, as Paul alluded to there, if Macron says, no, I'm going to dissolve and we'll have another election, would that last for five years? Or would it be on, until just after the oh, next yeah. presi- presi- French presidential election? Right. So actually, um, yeah, constitutionally, good question, because constitutionally, uh, the set term is five years. So, yes, you would see a reversal of the calendar uh, right. where uh, and actually that's happened in 1997. Right? OK, uh, so you would see uh, the um, the parliamentary elections beat like one year before the presidential elections. elections. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that wasn't something I suppose we'd have been aware of. I suppose mm-hmm. here we, we'd refer back to Paul, as I said, in the eighties we had three elections in the yeah. space of what nine, nine, yeah. nine ten months. It was months, all from the know. one. It was coming from the one source. It was coming from yeah. the parliament. That was the only place. Yeah, uh, the, the, the president at the time, yeah. um, Patrick Hillary, couldn't say. Well, he had. He does have a power. Actually, actually God, we go off down a rabbit hole here now. He does. Yeah. The president does have the power in Ireland to say if if the Taoiseach the Taoiseach comes to the president and says I want you to dissolve Parliament. The president does have the power constitutionally to say. No, yeah. go back to that parliament Sorted and out. see can you create yeah. a new government from within that parliament. Or the, he can ask the opposition to do that. So Macron will only do that if there is like complete gridlock and really some uh, some urgent uh, yeah. policies that need to be voted on uh, or just that you know uh, so stagnating. Give yeah. it like you said, yeah, uh, Kevin. I think you're right there. February, March, April of next year. Yes. Have to wait until yeah, then. because now uh, this yeah. summer will be all about uh, the um, energy prices, uh, yeah. all about cost of living. Uh, cost of living. Uh, then uh, it will be the uh, pension reform in September. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that brings us to February because uh, there's a break for Christmas. And February, if all of that hasn't happened or has been too slow, he'll have to say, well, look, um, you guys are going back to the ballot box, we right? Got it, we got uh, we, we've got, we've got a, to sort it out. Majority. And actually, I think uh, I think he would be. Um, uh, uh, how can I say? If he does that, he will do that because because it's good for the country mm. that he does that. Whatever the result, even if it's a left left wing, you know, uh, majority that emerges from that new fresh set of elections, uh, there's got to be some policy making happening mm. here. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, I. I I think it could happen, but also if uh, he goes to the media and say, look, there's complete gridlock here, it's either I dissolve uh, the, the National Assembly or we get together, I think that some um, um, shy kind of MPs might decide um, we'll support. To, to support Macron we'll and actually support. say we, we've, we've, got, we've got to unlock that. So I'm thinking about the mainstream right, for instance. It could be, be a few Jackie Healy Rays. A few kind of people on a specific issue. You know, you need a lot of those. You need 40 of those. But it's that basis. It's, it's, it's on a person by person, um, parliamentarian by parliamentarian. 
It's so a deal. I, I want a new bridge in the south of France. So, I want yeah, yeah but at, at the moment, yeah. I think so that many, even dissenting voices from within the far left uh, coalition and also with, amongst the Republican, the mainstream right, I think at the moment they're still uh, shy and don't want to be subsumed no. with, within the, the, the well, got to see, uh, Macron's we, we, movement. Yeah, you've got to see they're, where they're coming from. The socialists or the Republicans, they've been hammered over the yeah. last two electoral yeah. cycles by Macron <laughs> and Macron coming from a socialist government as well. They're not going to kind of they're not going to make an immediate deal with but the But faced with a constitutional crisis, they might in, actually maybe in a year's time, maybe in a year's time, yeah. in a year's time but yeah. not now. No, not, not, not now. No, no, they're playing their survival and actually probably banking on the next set of elections. Yeah. And so back to your initial question early on, are they gone for good? I actually don't think so. You know, uh, I, I think there's still space for some central right politics, uh, Macron's, mm. uh, you know, uh, Macron's space yeah. here. Um, but I think that Les Républicains still have uh, a chance of regaining that, that center mm. ground. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, but oh. listen. I mean, it's you know, uh, you'd be mm. you, you'd be uh, mystic, meg, seriously or a crystal astute crystal if you could actually predict what you call it. Okay, right, Kevin. We'll move on a little bit and just talk about. Um, you're involved with the European move, movement. No, sorry. What no, I, 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 I do. Yeah, no, I, I, I lecture European politics. Yes, yes. I, I just give us a overview of. What do you think the European concept in general, where it currently stands? Uh, we're looking at a scenario where in this country it's 50 years, we'll say, since we joined the EU, as was the, the EU, uh, or what, what's now the EU or the EEC or 50. the EC. Yeah, 50 yeah, years. Yeah. 50 years, yeah. You know, and it's something that really hasn't been acknowledged here that I can see as, as of yet, but we'll say just uh, give us a European view of how, how you see politics and the continent doing as a whole. Um, so I, I like the way you described the European concept, because actually, uh, why do I have to lecture European politics? Because it's a contested concept. You know, what is the European Union? Is it a super state uh, or is it just um, um, kind of a union of nations? What is the European Union? It's actually very debated, very, very debatable, very contested. And actually, depending on the policies that you're looking at, sometimes it behaves as a federal system and sometimes it behaves as a more uh, intergovernmental sure. system. Them, right, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and what we've seen, uh, I think, in recent years, is uh, more of a um, more of a of an intergovernmental organization than the federal system. Why? Look at yesterday. Uh, yesterday, um, I think yesterday's conclusions of the European Council, so where all the leaders of, mm -hmm. of states, uh, head of states, uh, come together in a room where there's no media, nothing. There's just, just like, you know, uh, how can I say, testosterone-filled yeah. kind of discussions in there, right? <laughs> a lot of women high, leaders now, though. High, well, high politics in there. <laughs> okay, right? high politics. But you're right, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, there's more women in there now. <laughs> and, and actually, yesterday's decision um, was, um, again, the club, Right, so the European Union is actually a club that comes mm -hmm. together uh, and takes responsibility for the decisions that they make. I, I suppose what you're referring to is the decision to give Ukraine the status of uh, candidate, can, candidate, can, yeah. can, can, mm. candidate country. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so what is what is the, so if you think about uh, trade policies, for instance, uh, the European Commission, right, who is one of the executive arms of uh, of the European Union, mm. think of it as. Um, prime Minister, right, uh, if you wanted to compare. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the European Commission um, 
uh, has full power over trade policies. So that's very much federalized. Right? Yeah. And then when you think about foreign policy or when you think about migration policy, when you think about health uh, increasingly since COVID, yeah. when you think about all those kind of policies where there's shared shared responsibility, well. mm-hmm. shared um, response between the national states and uh, the European uh, Union, uh, well, it's more intergovernmental, right? Mm. So some aspects that are uh, negotiated in the European Parliament, some others between ministers in the Council yeah. of Ministers, right? So, um, uh, so yeah, the European Union, uh, you could actually draw a comparison uh, with the US there, right? Uh, so you have um, the executive uh, where it's um, in the hands of, uh, of the European Commission and uh, the European Council. Uh, and in some respect as well, the um, uh, the Council of Ministers, which is like the higher chamber, like the Senate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have legislative between um, the uh, Council of Ministers and the European Parliament. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, um, yeah I suppose the, the concept of the club, right? And we're in the club and our nearest mm. neighbours are out of the club now mm. with regards to a lot of things as in the UK. Yeah, and this is why it's But they're still there, you know, as I said, they're still in Europe, but they're sort of out of the yeah. EU. So I think, yeah. uh, like, uh, uh, one point that is uh, very important to me is uh, there is no Brussels and us, right? Mm. There's no Brussels and Ireland, Brussels mm. and France. You guys are your, the European Union. I am the European Union. You elect uh, your Taoiseach, right, indirectly, but you have a Taoiseach that is elected uh, who sits in the executive branch of the European Union in the European Council. Your ministers are elected as well. They sit in the Council of Ministers, which is like the Senate, who has to decide uh, with the European Parliament mm-hmm. on legislation. Um, and uh, you elect your European Parliament um, MPs, yeah. right, yeah. MEPs. MEPs. Um, uh, who also are directly elected by the population and actually has to uh, legislate uh, with the Council of Ministers. So we are the European Union, yeah. right? And so this is where I think the UK was completely misguided. You know, they say unelected bureaucrats. The Commission basically re- puts into action, puts into proposals, um, uh, articulates the demands of the European Council, the heads of states, the top dogs. So when the European Council says... Um, we need to focus on climate change. The European Commission okay, listens in, actually sits in the European Council and says, OK, we're going to draft a couple of leg- bills here, couple of proposals, and we're going to articulate those kind of broad kind of demands, broad directions given by the heads of state. So, um, so that's the European Union. You have the top dogs who give kind of some directions. Yeah. The European Commission, as the administrative arm, says uh, we're going to articulate that and then sends it to the two co-legislators, the European Parliament and the Council of Ministers. Politically, it works quite well. The, 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 the whole co- if, if, if you were to write this on paper and say we're going to take 27 disparate countries and we're going to put them together in a club, you would say politically that would be impossible. That would be almost not doable. But and even, I suppose, in... Why do you think it would be doable? No, 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 I'm just saying. Because there are so many opinions. There is such a variety of people living within the European... I think it's, it's a phenomenal achievement yeah. that the political cohesion that has been established by... It's, it's phenomenal in a lot of ways. But on paper, it okay, notwithstanding, people are people at the end of the day, but there are such a disparate 
And even within it, even politically within the European Union, there are pressures and there are stresses and there are strains. If you take Hungary or if you take, you know, Poland, there are yeah. with some of the European principles or some of the European ideals. But it does, by and large, work. And it has even over the last six years, we've seen it through the prism of Brexit work really, really well. And why do you think it works? I actually think that you could actually just bring a rational argument. What is the cost of living the bloc? What is the cost of letting the European Union collapse? I think the cost of us outweigh well, immensely, we you know, when we're uh, starting uh, to see that in uh, Brexit, the cost of not coming together but as a that, club see, actually that is, outweighed the benefits. There's a slight a fly in the ointment on this that I don't think we've had our experience and this hasn't been Eurosceptic in any way. It's trying to address perhaps a potential weakness that is in Europe. The monetary crisis or the, 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 the financial crisis that we had 12 years ago now at this stage really started to kind of pull back the curtains a little bit on the with north ability side to have north south of, monetary yeah, union yeah, monetary yeah. union is 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 difficult it's probably it's the most difficult element of um the relationship the mm. club and it is going to be that again i think as well it's all we've learned we've learned from it have we uh, yes we have Do you think we have yes we have um one one uh, on previously unthinkable um, a decision made by the club, by the heads of state, crafted by Merkel and Macron uh, two, year, two years ago, was, look, the cost of the uh, COVID, of crisis, COVID crisis is going to be European so large, okay. so large that we've got to break with our traditional conventions, you know, yeah. traditional ways. And, uh, and, and basically Germany had to, mm. to say, concede that, look, well, well, we've got to borrow together as a club. This was actually unthinkable. Mm. those so-called corner bonds. In right? fairness, I think there's one other man, and I think some of, the, some of the work was done on that even previously, and that would be Draghi when he came in as, as, as um, in the European Whatever Central Bank. It in takes. fairness, whatever whatever it takes. It in takes. fairness, he would have nudged, he would have made it easier in 2013 for that decision that you talk about at the start of COVID as well to be made. So yeah, I but I think Lagarde, his successor, actually has not been very, uh, very no. astute, actually. No. She said some things that uh, no. during yeah. the yeah. corona, corona crisis. And Tricia, even before her, these people are very powerful and they, and yeah. they make significant decisions. About by just saying something. By just saying if they something. say something exactly. wrong, yeah. the market collapses. Yeah. This, this, this is what w this this uh, um, this this skill in trying to create this uh, North South Craft, monetary yeah. union. That's I don't think. While you might feel perhaps okay, we did. I acknowledge we did a couple of years ago at the start of COVID, um, approach it in a different way than we did back in 2009. Um, I think it's always the thread that could potentially create the most pressure on the European Union. Yeah. And I'd be very cautious and wary and watchful of that and like to think that European technocrats, politicians, bureaucrats, whatever you want to call them, are watching that and kind of, how can we, how can you deal with that? How can you square that but circle? We have so many different economies. Have the technocrats and the politics, politicians sort of come together because basically, you know, a little bit like we look at these things a, f a few years after the event. And I don't think there are too many politicians that would look back and say, we handled the economic crisis very well. OK, and then you have the next crisis that comes along, which sort of not quite economic, not caused, we'll say, yeah. you know, it's ca caused by, we'll say, uh, a pandemic, but the pandemic. But as you said, what was the solution? We're just going to print money and throw loads of money at it. And and it's a bit like now the politicians have said, and we're here, Paul, we're the same. We're giving out money left, right and yeah. centre. Like when you don't have, we say, the whole thing with payments for people during the pandemic, when you don't have the opposition parties coming out, giving out about it, mm -hmm. you know, 
Well, you're starting, different. you're starting the next cycle of a political crisis. We only move from crisis to crisis at any given time. And the democratic, the democratic system, through. the political system yeah. muddling through has to respond. And you always hope that those that you have in place can respond well, properly. But it does. The European Union always does. Because, again, the cost uh, of not responding to those crises actually can be quite high. And also from the population. Remember what happened when the corona crisis actually hit? The Italians, the Italian population said, where's the EU? Where's the mask? Where's the solidarity there? Mm. Where is it? China had to step in Mm. shamefully, right? Mm. And so then what the European Union did was the commission took it upon their hands. They said, okay, look, we've we've got to actually do something new because health uh, is not a a, a remit of the European Union. It's not Not like trade. No. Um, And also then uh, during the invasion uh, of Ukraine Ukraine. by Russia, uh, where's the European Union, Mm. right? Well, no, NATO is still there, but still. Mm. Uh, Germany um, actually said we're going to inject more money into defense, which was unthinkable previously. Yeah. Yeah, totally, the European yeah. Union said we're going to buy weapons for Ukraine, which was completely unthinkable mm. before. Mm. I think what we're seeing is that true crises, we say, look, there is some uh, built-in um, faults uh, in, in our institutional system. We've got to actually correct them in provision of, a dif- of another crisis. And so you're going to see more collaboration on uh, military, uh, defense, on climate change, on health, mm. uh, all of that uh, sort of accelerated by crises. But they, uh, in doing that, and, and that's the roadmap that you follow from a European perspective, but then if you've got this former member that's on the outside, and by definition, that is going on and on and on and will be ongoing, and you would think with some of the political participants in the ERG element of the Conservative Party, their primary or their only, you know, by de- the only place they can finish up is to actually, they want to destroy the European Union. If you have this little ant attacking an elephant continuously, can they do damage? Do you think they want to destroy the European Union? I think just wanted to get out. I actually no, think I that think it would be immensely costly for the UK if the European Union actually collapsed, to be honest with I you. I think they, you know, they're, uh, they're a pol- politically deranged, I would call, a significant part of that Conservative Party, that ERG group. And I think, I don't, I think they, are, they are of that ilk that... You never get to a conclusion. You can't get to a conclusion politically. And I think, yeah, that is what they want. No, I don't think they will achieve that or can do that. I think no. the thing is moving away from them domestically, even now at this stage. But that's, you know, but my point is, if you have a political, as I say, ant outside buzzing around your ear the whole time, is that a distraction? Is that an undermining? You know, how do you deal with that politically within the European Union then? To be honest, if you speak to some... Uh, to some um diplomats uh, in the European Brussels or in Strasbourg um, that say we're completely dis- disinterested from just the UK now. We, we just have the bigger fish to fry now. Mm. You know, so Ukraine, energy crisis, climate crisis, the UK is all news now. And this is actually a risk for Ireland as well, right? Is that, mm. you know, as, as this crisis, ongoing crisis with the UK and Ireland, uh, you know, becoming more protracted, um, uh, to what extent is the European Union going to step in and actually, uh, you know, um, mm. show their support? So far, so good. So far, right? so good. But how long is it but going if you to are last? becoming let's, let's disinterested see. or moving yeah. on to other things, well, then. I, I think, ironically, Paul, what, will hap- what could potentially happen is that the one big thing that you know the Brits want to take back control and their great line that will say when they start trying to tear up international trade deals and international laws mm. this whole thing you know in relation to you know um, 
getting rid, uh, trying to get rid of, you know, say the backstop or protocol really go, the at protocol, this stage, I with a new say. piece of legislation. Yeah. and that you know, this, this is a little bit like where you start to see Europe saying, "No, lads, you can't do that." This is, you know, this is this is international, internationally agreed. Ye agreed, we agreed. You can't just come along six months later and say I, we didn't like that, you know. But that's their version of politics. But mm. this is where I think um, there is Luc van Midlar, uh, if anyone's listening and interested in, in European politics, is a historian of European integration. He has written a couple of books and actually um, puts that in, in very uh, layman's term, right? And I quite love his books. So Luc van Midlar actually de- describes two dimensions to European politics. One, rule politics, and two, events politics. When no crisis, there's no crisis, um, um, you know, at play, Mm. Uh, rule politics, written treaties, everything, you know, legal system, right, um, is is there to kind of keep the machine going. However, when the beep hits the the fan, right, when politics, events, politics, where the top dogs, the heads of state actually come in and say, right, we've got to write a new bunch of rules here. We've got to rewrite the rule, the, the, yeah. the playbook here. And so this is why I personally trust the European Union dealing with whatever is going to happen with the UK. I trust the European Union to deal with whatever invasion might actually occur. Um, pr- prior to the Ukraine invasion, I wasn't really sure if the European Union would actually step into that grey uh, unknown, uncharted area of defence policy. Mm. But I think now I do trust that when when things need to be uh, done, they will get there because um, I know it's a little bit partisan of me to say that, but I'm, I'm Europhile, obviously, right? Yeah. But I think that... Um, but it's only still at the end of the day, going back to bringing a circular back to org, it's only as good as the participants in it, within it, within it. Okay, you've got the... But That's it's true. only as good as the participants that are there within That's it. That's true. You need yeah. a strong Franco-German couple there. You yeah. know, it, you know, you can say whatever you want. That, you know, yeah. all, yeah, every 27 member states have as a, a small veto. Like you you do. know, but at the end of the day, uh, most very profound reforms that have been pushed through the European level during the financial crises and all of the yeah. other uh, has been driven by France and Germany. Yeah, and we said now time is moving on and there's a few topics that I yeah, want sorry, to try and yeah. get to. No, you're, you're quite I okay. I get carried there, away there. there. Yeah. <laughs> a good man. You haven't heard us before. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, no, that's a good carried away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some of our carried away. What, can what, be. what I would say to you, you, you you've sp- we've spoken about a lot about France, okay, and now in Germany. Uh, post and Angela, as we would call mm. her, post Merkel, as you said, very uh, what we would have classed as maybe very surprising that Germany is committed to increase its military spend. But mm. I said they're adapting to you know political situation. Um, the events. energy geopolitical ge- yeah. events, events, <laughs> events, my boy. Um, the one thing where Germany, I think, are in an awkward situation is energy and they had made a decision that they were going to be reliant to a certain extent for a period of time on Hmm. russian gas and accelerated by fukushima absolutely yes absolutely combined with the fact that they were shutting down nuclear i said france still has a lot of its nuclear uh germany 65 percent of our energy is nuclear yeah yeah Yeah. you know uh so germany was going you know closing nuclear and and there's a certain amount of renewables going to push ahead with more for that but they're in this bind now where Mm. they're screwed re gas scenario and uh, as I said energy costs and I think especially maybe a bit more in the UK at the moment um, 
for the way that their energy systems are regulated. Like I know in France, I think electricity costs have only gone up maybe three, four percent. They're capped, aren't they? Yeah. And whereas in Ireland, okay, we're gone up whatever twenty twenty five, and we'll say heading, heading for the winter is not going to get much better. But what are your and thoughts? you see this is events politics at play there because actually yeah. the commission, uh, if it was not in time of crisis, would actually say to France, you cannot subsidise. Yes. right? you know yes. this yeah. is yeah. antitrust yeah. policies, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. it's okay yeah. now, yeah. That's, you know, because so yeah. that'll sound. But look, we can rewrite problems. rules anyway. Yeah. No, but just Anytime. to say, yeah. it's adaptable, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 plastic. Yeah, plastic. So what what are your thoughts? We'll say on. Germany's situation with regards to their energy situation and the issues with Russia and Germany's position post-Merkel as with, combined with France as a driver of the European model as such. Hmm. Wow, uh, that's quite the question. Okay, um, <laughs> thanks very much. No, that's, uh, so what is my... Um, like, would you have a more specific question there? Because, like, to be honest, I, um, well, I, I could go on and on um, and on now. Are so, Germany in big trouble? Yeah. Is that what you're saying, Luke? Yeah. Are Germany in big trouble? Yeah. We'd say because... No, we, we've become so used to you know, strong Germany and st- strong being and so strong. Strong and stable. As the, yeah, as the kind of know. cornerstone or as the linchpin yeah. of the European... Or as we call them, they're the common sense people. Yeah. Are, are but that's, that's why I actually don't think they're in trouble, to be honest. Okay. You know, I think now there is, uh, you know... Louder voices now that say, "Let's rethink." You know, mm. let's. You know, the Greens, even the Greens, or Apart even. You know, I mean, their 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 raison d'être actually is anti-nuclear, right? Yeah. Some dissenting voices already I read uh, yesterday uh, that are saying, "Well, we might want to rethink." Uh, you know what's going on here? Why? Because the Greens are appalled at what's going on. You know, uh, in Ukraine. In Ukraine, and so they're kind of facing a bit of a bind there, as you, you, as you said, right? Uh, but most especially. Um, uh, on on the left, on the SPD, uh, definitely they're they're saying, look, uh, um, embracing Russian gas was a mistake. Uh, now we've, we're facing a, a calendar schedule of shutting down three more uh, nuclear reactors over the next couple of years, yeah. and we've got to rethink this one. But actually, this is going to be difficult to reverse because some uh, because actually all of that is 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 written into law, yeah. right? So you'd want to actually uh, push through a set of legisla- legislation to even increase the power output of those mm, three nuclear plants. Yeah. So, so the Bunge um, Deg has to work on that now. They have to work on that, but it could take way longer than they actually mm. have because mm. they are facing uh, well, a shortage a, uh, a in the winter. There's a threat yesterday. I think Russia yeah. issued a threat. They were actually switching off 100%. And it could everything. well happen yeah, uh, in, in October, November, yeah. and there you're going to f- yeah. see uh, like a, short, winter. a shortage in yeah. the winter yeah so they're already uh, asking the population mm. uh, you know yeah we, we, we've got to rush and, and mm. also they're filling the tanks at the we moment right they're, they're stockpiling uh, yeah. gas at the yeah. moment yeah I think about 57 I read yesterday percent of their uh, reserves uh, are uh, full so they need okay. to stockpile over the next over uh, couple the, of months. The summer months. Ahead of the winter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's where they are. I think, yeah, politics is going to have to come into play now and, and yeah. really ask themselves yeah. some serious questions po- about nuclear po- policy. Po- post-Merkel, uh, where do you see German politics going? Take, take In general, she's had, you know, such a big mm. effect on Europe and um, been such a big influence on German politics, obviously, over a number of years. And now, is there a little bit of a, a, a hole after she's gone? And, you know, I said, thing, events and political events have sort of taken a different turn in that where it might have been just a continuation 
and now things are pivoting? Or what are your thoughts? Or um, am I talking pure rubbish? No, no, you're you're not. Yeah. But I guess, but that's that's what um that's what a parliamentary democracy actually yeah. you know does, right? I mean, it, it crafts you yeah. know um, As, uh, majorities you're, 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 and and you're coming out of a, a, a time frame, a significant time frame, where I suppose she, where she has been or was such a significant um, chancellor, both in Germany and from on a European and to an extent on a world stage as well. Yeah, it's 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 the moving away from a character or from, from a personality. Yeah. Not that she was driven by personality politics, not uh, at all. I think but far she was from it. Far yeah. from it, exactly. Yeah. But um, so you're in that period now of flux. Flux, yep. adjustment, mm. yep. um, yeah. just and change. Um, Schultz, he doesn't inspire huge confidence, definitely at the moment. Maybe he will grow into, you would hope he will grow into that role over, over, over a period of time. He probably has to start the ground or hit the ground running and um, we're a few months into it but more so than if he had been if it was just um the um what was the event rule politics if we were in a rule politics era he might have had a more of a time to fill and, into and, the role and scope to come into perfectly possibly yeah. but events politics um, we'll see how he does i i i think where your question comes from and that's probably what listeners might be wondering so what the hell is going on in politics at the moment in european politics in in Europe, Europe-wide politics, and what we're seeing is a fundamental tra- transformation of our systems from kind of a left-right kind of divide to what we call the new transnational cleavage, the winners against the losers of globalization. So this is, if you wanted to kind of conceptualize what's going on in politics, you see the winners of globalization more liberal, so center-left, right, or center-right winners of globalization, those that are lived in cities, those that have um, uh, kind of middle classes uh, that benefit from globalization and European integration against the losers, those that are on the sideline in the countryside that feel that globalization and European integration hasn't played in our favor, are still stuck in low-paid jobs, low-skilled jobs, have no access to university. And so those ones vote for far-right parties, uh, most especially, or far-left in some countries. And this is kind of where I see Europe-wide politics actually taking shape around that cleavage winners against losers of globalization. So the challenge for German elites, French elites, even in Ireland, I think, um, mm. is how do we uh, sort of appease, how do we, um, do we kind of um, uh, make, make sure that both sides don't hate each other to the extent of you've got complete gridlock in, in politics? How is it manifested? What's the political issue that manifests that that that, that, that creates that? What is the political issue? Do you so think too many issues. Kevin, uh, immigration, 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 okay. uh, European integration, uh, and I think okay, uh, yeah, and and of course globalization. So yeah. where you see um, um, uh, cities, right? Um, cities where um, you have more chances to, to, to travel, where you have more chances to have a, a high-skilled job, where you have access to university. I think, okay, the issue is actually education, right? I, those I, who go yeah. to university and those who do not. Yeah. I think, right? well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, you, there's you some dig- disagreements about that. I think that, immigration, but, you know. I would, what about your, 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 your countryman's, or your, what about capital? What about the work of, we'll say, the likes of Piketty and the distribution of capital over the last... 30, 40 years. And he does is actually that, mention... a huge issue? In and he does actually mention uh, that, that new cleavage, uh, by yeah. the way. He does mention that there is some winners and losers of globalization. Um, and so those that live in... So actually, you could even put like a geographical kind of thing, you know, mm. um, the centralized, you know, cities against the rural uh, areas. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, inequalities. Inequalities. Um, I think uh, But those inequalities uh, also from, are, also education. come from educational attainments, yeah. right? But I uh, think, yeah, that, that, that while it's, I just, it's economic. Look in cities how expensive it is. Yeah. To, I mean, college is actually not well, even a possibility for many this, people yeah, because they can't point, actually go point. find accommodation around yeah. cities where you have universities. Yeah. So all of that is sort of intermeshed. But if so you, in if, a, if you economic take inequalities, geographical inequalities, uh, education mm. inequalities, and all of that creates that, that tension between winners and losers of globalization. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I, I see that uh, Luke is uh, is a little bit dubious there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have that frown. That's his default position. Don't worry about it, Kevin. I, 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 I'm a pessimistic skeptic <laughs> at, at, at best, but um, I, I suppose... Um, the Greens and the centre-left are winners of globalisation, right? Usually <laughs> that's kind of where they are, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I suppose uh, fr from the immigration point of view... Up until the war in Ukraine, we weren't particularly bothered about immigration, I think, in this country. Well, 2015 was kind of a momentous kind of, you if know, you not in Ireland anyway. Not, not, no, not in okay. Ireland. 2015 uh, for Germany. Most yeah. No, yeah. No, absolutely. And Eastern European yeah. countries. Yes, Eastern European no, countries, no I, yeah. I, absolutely. Well, that's what I'm saying. That didn't affect us. Right. Okay. Yeah. Whereas we have a situation currently now in East Clare where we have uh, women, children from the Ukraine that have been parachuted into yeah. East Clare as yeah. a result of yeah. a war. Okay, <laughs> Now, we weren't getting people coming into East Clare from, you know, Syria or any place like that. But we'll say Germany opened their borders. Mm. Merkel famously, Merkel. you know, let a million people no in. No problem. It will not be a problem. You know, um, very much to be admired. Uh, here, w we have a construct where... We have a housing crisis that has been going on for a number of years. A crisis might be the wrong word to describe it at different times. It could be we've too many I houses. I call it a catastrophe, to be honest, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we, well, we've too many houses. Well, I think that's linked to... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Luke. No, yeah, no, no, go on. Go, no, no, keep no, going. Keep, no, sorry, keep going. I said, I'm going off at what stage, with too many houses, then oh, we don't need any more. Then uh, you couldn't sell one. Mm. Then they sort mm. of... We're demolishing. Mm. We were demolishing we're houses demolishing, demolishing houses. Then, you, uh, you know, you couldn't rent one. Mm. Now... You can rent no, as many as you want. No, it's fast recovery. You know, I mean, yeah. it's good, but they created yeah, it, some tension. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I, and we'll say our, our political scene changed from the point of view of, uh, we say, land in this country is a tradition, you know, and house ownership is a tradition that isn't maybe as big in Europe in that people were more, you know, would rent. Yeah. Whereas owning a house in Ireland is a thing. Yeah. You know, and it's a cultural thing. And now you have you're back to a scenario where people can't afford, can't yeah. afford but it, see, can't nearly right. afford this, to I, rent. I think there's a more the more fundamental, and this is, I think that's linked. While specific the, the issue, the specific issue is housing. The more general issue is what I just kind of was asking Kevin there. This issue of capital and how it is yeah. we use capital in an economy, yeah. and we have chosen for whatever reason. Like for instance, this week I see Glanbia, kind of one of our big agricultural processors. They're now coming into the housing market. We're choosing for retirement funds from Canada to be in the Irish housing market. So we're elbowing, yeah. in a catastrophic way, we're elbowing people. And there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with people owning their house. It creates a confidence in, yeah. in, 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 in your, in your but life. But this is an but issue. We are politically, in what we're deciding to do with capital, yeah. is actually having a profound impact on a housing 
And this is an situation issue. This in is an issue. And in other countries. Yeah, this is an issue, I think, that came into this country after the uh, financial crisis, where basically, I, I think, and the Fine Gael policy that they decided, right, we need sort of hedge funds to come in yeah. and start buying up or, yeah. you know, bi- buying apartments and all the rest of it. And so that's all well and good. You get a bit of interest going, all the rest of it. But now, the, I said, you know, the turkeys have come home to roost. Mm in a little bit like that people need to realise, well, these people aren't coming in just because they think we're nice people. They're coming in to make, to make money. money. And Which, again, know, God, this is my thing about yeah. capital yeah. and the accumulation of capital yeah. and the transfer of capital. Now, maybe, yeah. and, I'm, I'm not, and this, should not be, uh, this should not be talked about in terms of left or right. It's not that. The, I think this is the new well, definition It's, it's of a concept. Politics. Yes. I think I think this is the battleground that politics is going yeah. to be. Or let's let's on. just say that left and right, the meaning of left and right is actually changing. It's, right? changing, it's yeah. no longer yeah. working class versus capitalist. Now it's more so about uh, who is who wins from globalization and who doesn't. But important to know that even though you do see some kind of social groups that you might define as winner and winners or, or losers of globalization, but also it depends on how it is articulated by elites in Ireland. That sort of cleavage, I think, is coming coming to the fore, accelerated by mm. the housing crisis, for instance. Uh, but in, Ar- in Ireland, this kind of nationalist impulse uh, is not located on the far right, exclusionary kind of, you know, far right anti-immigration politics. But this national impu- uh, nationalist impulse is actually on the far left, more inclusive, uh, Sinn Féin. Yeah. So what I mean here is that I don't think that there is space in Ireland for a far right party because that nationalist impulse that uh, mm. is is Shifts, is there yeah. is you know is there uh, located with the the, the Sinn Féin yeah. far left party. Well, you see, yeah. we we have a very specific brand of nationalism here in Ireland as well, in that we've had our you know our our our, our, our Northern Ireland Ireland yeah. so nationalism yeah. has a, has a very specific set of kind of um, emotions or feelings or, or ideas in Ireland that mightn't even be in a broader kind of international concept of nationalism as well, if you know what I mean. So that ties in and that's tied in directly to Sinn Féin. And that's, as you said, and that's then why that nationalist thing resides there with yeah. Sinn Féin rather than doesn't allow the oxygen for that far right. That's, that's, not, that's, to say, that's, that's not to say it won't happen or couldn't happen or shouldn't happen. Possibly, possibly could. If Sinn Féin will say evolve into government, you know, what's out there then? Yeah, and I, I was also amazed that you guys, you know, keep mentioning, you know, capital and redistribution. I mean, it actually goes further than this. It's also, also public policies. One problem that you see in many countries, big countries like France and Germany, is the complete banishing of public services, mm. where uh, you see increasing centralization. Where I know I'm, I'm coming from east, uh, northeast of France in Lorraine, uh, and you'd have to travel for about an hour to actually find a public service mm. office. Right? And, uh, and and I actually, those populations, they turn to the far right to say, I'm going to look after you guys. Macron is looking after the city and powers and winners of globalization. You guys, oh, have, you guys, you know, in rural areas, I'm going to look after you. That's what Le Pen is doing. It's a little right? bit like what Trump has done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in there the you go. Yes, Same absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I don't get so a sense of that in Ireland, though. I don't. I think no, our, because our actually, representation is quite good. It's quite grounded. And also ge- geography here. It's a bit. Actually, this is fascinating because Ireland has to be one, if not the most centralized uh, country in Europe. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The yeah. most centralized. Absolutely. However, when you're in East Clare, you're actually not that far from the centre. You're you're yeah. actually not that far from Dublin. Imagine when you're in the 
Barcarst and nowhere in uh, France. Kevin, you're 1,000 kilometers way. away from yeah. Paris, from we, the we, we, We'll tell you, Kevin, uh, uh, Dublin is not the center of this country. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. no, but you see what I mean. Yeah, right? I I mean, yeah. yeah no, the point yeah. is good. Yeah. The point is yeah, good. You're not that far, so you don't have this sense that you're completely, you know, isolated. But I do think, sometimes. And the PRS TV system is definitely. Your greatest strength is often your greatest weakness. But And actually. political system is. And what we could talk about, actually, because we, we might actually say to our, I would like to say to our listeners that you guys have a formidable democracy, not not only by virtue of your lecture system, which I find really sound, you know, I really like it, but also this concept of citizen assembly, some more deliberative forms of mm. democracy, new. newer forms of democracy. And that could be a way out in France, if there's a gridlock. Mm. It could be a way out in Germany when you need to discuss uh, nuclear energy. You know, yeah. let's let's bring well, people it, it, together in a room. And, that's, and it's only a 10-year-old concept in Ireland. It only came in to yeah, deal with... It, it isn't a talk. Um, Look, the the political system still maintains a control over it because they have representatives, they have TDs or they have senators. It's balanced in their favour as well. I would say say they they give legitimacy by actually paying heed paying heed to what they say, their conclusions. I think it has worked well heretofore. I think it's it's potentially, um, I think the political system now has kind of seen it has worked well and they're perhaps more kind of acutely aware of, well, we can get our agenda delivered through this. It yeah. needs, like anything, yeah. it needs, it needs reassessment, it needs, it needs work. It, I yeah. think it did work extremely well um, back in for the... For the yes equality, for, the yes for equality, abortion. It um, no, but I think the political term, I think, yeah, it's yeah. kind of... Uh, it's, now yeah. they're starting to say, well, maybe we can manipulate this a little more to our ends. So I think, yeah, it's, the concept is brilliant as, 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 as a parallel to any democra- democratic system or as a, as a part of a democratic system. But like anything in a democratic it's an system. instrument it's amongst others. Yeah, it's right? exactly. Yeah. And you can only you can only applaud anything like that. Okay. Yeah. You can. Right. You have to. I'm, I'm going to call a halt here now for a second because we haven't got anywhere near the topic I wanted to talk about as well. Oh dear. Which, which is the UK. Does that happen all the time? Yeah. It's it's always, it always does. But listen, ah, yes. we'll, we'll finish, good, it, we'll finish this bit of the show. We might be back with a second bit. But uh, Kevin Sade, a pleasure to have you here. Great to have you here. Thank you very Absolutely. much. We'll have you back. Absolutely. No, no do you know what we do, Luke? Yeah. No. I was just thinking, as he mentioned it there about our system, we'll bring Kevin to the next count when we do our live show oh, from absolutely. a count. Yeah, yeah, the election yes. counts. Yes. I'd love that. I'd learn. I think yes. you'd be really good on that yeah, day. I, I, yeah, it could come sooner than you That's think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's always the point. Exactly. We'll play a song to roll us out and we might be back with part two. So thanks for listening to El Political. Thanks a million. See ya. Paul again. Right. Thanks, Luke.